So I mean, when all of this is over and people say, are saying, it's like the Second World War, isn't it? And people are saying, what did you do in the war, Daddy? I watched all of Tiger King in just two nights. No, no you're going to have to show you made some kind of effort, aren't you? I clap on a Thursday. You do what? I go out and clap on a Thursday. Well, can anyone see you doing it? Yeah, yeah, well, I wouldn't do it otherwise. Yeah, we go outside, we go into the street, we all clap. And what I find now is as the weeks go by, there's a great deal of pressure to not be the first one to stop. I thought you said you missed all the clapping. What? You did, actually. You said that the first one, you lost all track of time working on because you were adapting a new lecture for online teaching and you didn't realise until you heard your usually inconsiderate neighbours clapping their heads off like they'd just decided to be good people, but only for a couple of minutes once a week. Did I say that? Yeah. Yes, yes, you did. And then you said you felt bad, but it was okay because you could always just tweet that you'd been out clapping and that was basically the same thing. Oh, yeah, I, I do remember saying that. But if I, if I did not clap, why am I now saying that I was clapping? Well, I think what's happened there, I'll tell you, is I think you've got confused and you've mistaken your words for those of Rob Bryden. I think I have. And I think you got confused too, because those weren't your words either, were they? No, we both got our words confused, and we were doing the words of Steve Coogan and Rob Bryden in their recent skit for the BBC's Big Night In. What a pair of ridiculous idiots. What absolute wazzocks. Oh, we are. But we're not the biggest wazzocks. No, we're not the biggest wazzocks. Because accidentally mistaking our own words for those of other people's words has introduced all the things we're going to talk about today on Smith & War Talk About Satire, which is the podcast that you, the listener, are listening to. Today, we're going to be asking, what role does satire play in a global pandemic? Where, when and how has satire been happening while we've all been in lockdown? And since we're not actually Steve Coogan and Rob Blyden. <laughs> we're like we're like them on the trip doing impressions, except with the twist that we can't do impressions, aren't we? Anyway, so let's, let's tell the people who we are. You are Dr Adam James Smith, a senior lecturer in 18th century literature. And you're Dr Joe Ward, senior lecturer in 19th century literature. And this is the podcast where we talk about the form, function, future and history of satire in a desperate bid to amass quantifiable impact for the ref. Oh, you can't say that anymore. Oh, what? Why not? What? You, God, you can't say anything anymore, can you? Well, you, you could say, but there's not much point. RAF, the research evaluation framework for any listeners that aren't our two colleagues who actually listen to this, it looks like it's on ice indefinitely. Well, what are we doing this for then? I don't know. Genuine intellectual endeavour. But we're not getting marks like, for it. No, we're not getting any marks for it. But, you know, it, it's nice to just do something that we did in the before times, you know, or the lockdown times that we're in now. Yes, I do. I do know that, really. Um, and so, on that note, how is lockdown treating? you obviously i should clarify we are not in the same place right now we're conducting this remotely do you know what day it is are you do you even know what day it is anymore have you been for your for your, for your government permitted daily exercise today <laughs> yeah because we only have our daily permitted hour don't we but um no i'm not doing that today because i'm doing PE with adrian and yoga with Joe Wicks. That's that. that no, that's not. Oh shit! I have to go actually because my sourdough starter has just become sentient and got out of the fridge. <laughs> uh, it's all. It's got all over my Zoom ready outfit designed specially for working at home in these unprecedented times. I was a bit concerned when we started working from home about how I was going to strike a balance of slouchy silhouette, relaxed, laid back work at home comfort, and that also include some bright colours to cheer myself up in these unprecedented times. But Luckily, I don't know if this has happened to you, every single day my inbox is full of emails from every single company I've ever bought clothes off who have been dedicating all their time to exactly that knotty problem. God, I hope your sourdough starter's all right. I hope you didn't get any on your eggs 
chopped tomatoes, flour, or loo roll, or indeed anything that's in short supply at the moment. No, no, it didn't, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what it did do, and you'll like this, it got on my co-worker. My co-worker is not doing a lot of work today. My co-worker is doing some purring instead. My co-worker likes to eat go-cat. My co-worker is a cat. Did you get it? (laughs) That's very good. God, Zoom though. Remember when we used to explain to people that we did our podcast via a little app called Zoom, and then we used to have to email everyone and explain what Zoom was and tell them where to Yeah, we used, to, we used to do talks about how to do a podcast and how to do it on Zoom, didn't we? We did, we did. Yeah. And everyone would be like, Zoom, what's that? Don't you mean Skype? Or no, we mean Zoom. Don't you mean FaceTime? No, Zoom. The whole world lives in Zoom. At least because nobody knows how to leave a Zoom meeting. Ha, 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 ha. It's terrible. How do you exit? How do you leave? It's not possible. I say this, but I've been in Zoom for three days now. Well, I guess in Zoom, nobody can see your hair, which, oh, well, no, they can. Uh, can't they? Actually, they can see your hair. I imagine your hair is, is quite long by now, isn't it? It is. It's very long. I'm hoping I can lob it out of the window so a prince can climb up to set me free from my prison. Well, that wouldn't help, would it? Because the prince would just be in the room with you, possibly infecting you with coronavirus. Yeah, I haven't thought that through. I suppose that uh, if Rapunzel happened in the now times, the prince would just took the end of my hair and then run down to the end of the drive and do a virtual rescue by a zoom. Yeah, so it'd be kind of like a shit and ineffectual version of a thing that actually really needs to happen physically in the real world or else there's no point and it doesn't make sense. So it would be basically like everything else on Zoom. <laughs> well, it is unprecedented times, Joe. Hasn't someone WhatsApped you a death toll this morning? You're right, it is It is unprecedented times. They, they haven't done that. But yeah, what we're doing now, just to be clear, is we're satirising some of the unprecedented tropes of unprecedented daily, unprecedented conversations that have happened in these times, the, the bad, bad now times. But shall we talk about some of the things that have happened in satire in these times? Shall we talk about things that have happened in satire in these times? Sorry, I, I was playing Animal Crossing right now. Are, are you playing Animal Crossing? No, I'm still doing satire. What day even is it? What day even is it? I'll tell you what day it is. It's furloughs day. Do you mean Thursday? No, it's furloughs day. That's always been a word and we've all always know what it meant. By the way, I do hope you've been supporting independent business during these unprecedented times, you know, the way that I have. Have you? Of course I have, yeah, like all people who are decent. How how have you supported independent business? You know Amazon's not an independent business. No, I do know that, but let, let's just say that I bought a large amount of high-end eco-friendly loo roll from the fair trade shop the other day, the supporting independent business. When did you do that? Right at the very start of the lockdown. I was supporting independent businesses from day one. Right at the start. So that would be at the start when all the loo roll in Sainsbury's had run out because everyone was stockpiling it. Oh, maybe. I don't remember. So when there wasn't any other loo roll in any normal shops and the alternative would have been too dire to contemplate, you supported independent business at that point. Point is, I still supported them, didn't I? So you see, I am a good, decent person. You didn't have any choice, did you? Nobody has choices anymore, Joe. These are unprecedented times. So you're asking for credit for something you had no control over at all? I am. Okay, weird flex, but okay. Is that your YSJSU award from the podcast in the background for Best Pedagogical Project? Uh, where? Where? There, on the screen, in the background, on the wall, just uh, above all of your antiquarian books and beside your violin and the frame floor plan of your large and attractive house. Oh, oh that's, that is so embarrassing. I was hoping you wouldn't notice the carefully curated scene behind me during this video Zoom call. I'm mortified. More satire there, wasn't it? Yeah. What are we actually going to do today, Joe? We're going to talk about satirical things that have been happening in these bad, bad times. I'm going to do a little surprise later on, which we'll, we'll save for then. And then we're going to think about well, what else are we going to think about? Well, that's just it. How, how has satire and comedy worked? 
notes during the lockdown. It's probably worth noting that we told everyone that this episode was going to be our interview with Sharon Lockyer, but... We lied! Well, we have still got the interview with Sharon Lockyer, and it's a wonderful interview, but we thought we'd, we'd just save it, because we've been a bit strapped. I mean, I, genuinely, I, I've been really busy since lockdown started. Yeah. It's been quite difficult, hasn't it? I mean, it's been quite tricky getting every, everything ready. Yeah, I mean, like, normally over the Easter holidays, I would take some leave, but the issue was that, A, you can't leave, and B, there was just a lot, an awful lot to do, wasn't there? In terms of satirical things that have happened during these unprecedented times, mm. the first one that, that caught my attention was actually in the weeks before everything closed. My own brother actually sent me a clip from this time with Alan Partridge, which we discussed in the previous episodes. The, first of all, the clip of him in the train trying to go to the toilet without touching anything. Yeah. And then about a few days later, the clip of him talking to the woman, Jean, about hygiene. Yes, and he learned how to wash his hands properly, didn't he? He did. And as part of that skit, they actually had a video of how you should wash your hands for 20 seconds, where you should do it. They talked about the World Health Organization, advice for how to wash your hands. So that clip, just by happy serendipity, genuinely was disseminating useful yeah. about how to wash your hands in COVID. Because washing your hands was all the all the rage back then, wasn't it? I don't I don't bother anymore. I do, I do. That's a joke. But it was that was for a long time. Washing your hands was the thing, wasn't? It? And then the fact that that was in that really prescient bit of what we might call satire in Alan Partridge was just just one of many examples of life imitating art that seemed to have popped up, wasn't it? Right when this all began, comedy was a vehicle for disseminating important messages, wasn't it? Hand washing is an example of it. I mean, a really mm. similar example was I know this wasn't the same probably everywhere but at our institution where we work, there were signs went up in the toilets, didn't there, saying this song, this 20 second song. Yeah. Well, they weren't comedy but, songs though, were they? Well, then, no, I suppose not. But then that was also me, wasn't it? Where people hear the second song and they're all sharing profound lyrics or stupid lyrics or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was phase one, the hand wash phase. Yeah, and a similar example of comedy being used to disseminate an important message. I mean, you, you engage with this on Twitter yourself. Yes. Was... During phase two, the lockdown phase. Janie Godley, who we interviewed in Satire Women in the Latest, it was episode 2.5. She does comedy voiceover of political figures and she did a comic voiceover of Nicola Sturgeon when Nicola Sturgeon was telling people to essentially remain indoors. And we'll come back to that and just saying, like, for fuck's sake, stay inside. Or Janie Godley said that. Nicola Sturgeon didn't say that. And then Nicola Sturgeon, who had made the original serious clip, saw Janie Godley's comedy clip and retweeted it saying, this is this is great anything that gets the message across and then we noticed that and kind of engaged with that as well in that you know we never we never thought when we spoke to Janie just a few months ago that the satire and the process that she works with would actually come to be used in such a very unprecedented way um so yeah that was satire or comedy coming becoming really quite real wasn't it and and also you know we often talk about whether it can change anything whether it makes a difference whether it has to be political that was all of those wasn't it? it was and I think uh, Channel 4 have done this and the BBC did it quite quickly the BBC started to repurpose famous BBC comedy clips as lockdown messages some of them were a bit cringe some of them were quite funny so I mean I think my favourite one was the Malcolm Tucker clip where he's like we are in fucking lockdown because that's obviously what we were I suppose that it's a similar logic isn't it that these are funny clips anyway so if we can get people sharing these funny clips and they happen to also spread this message it's exactly as you say what we've talked about before it's what Wendy McGlashan was talking about yeah. way back in 
season than John Kay, that John Kay could get his messages out quicker through the medium of caricature than, than any other form. So that's that's nice to see it working that way. Yeah, yeah. I suppose there's also an element of nostalgia about it, isn't there? That people remember things like the thick of it fairly fondly and have been in practice for a good few years now of saying it's such a shame we could never have a classic series like the thick of it anymore because everything's too bad. And now, of course, it seems like everything was not that bad at all because we because we didn't have the virus but there's an element of of kind of pleasure in looking back at those things and one thing that a lot of people have been observing i know every time they do observe it they seem to think they're the first person to have done so but the kind of dystopian game show from mitchell and webb where david mitchell is the game show host in what is clearly a kind of very bleak apocalyptic scenario and every so often the message flashes up on screen remain indoors i think robert webb's even noted just just how often that is that is appearing right now um, so yeah, yeah remain remain indoors we we never thought that we'd actually be told to remain indoors did we and that idea of a, of a game show where you've got remain indoors popping up and that people are making ambiguous references to the event is basically what's happened to have i got news for you yeah like any of those shows that have in live interactive elements are now all conducted through zoom or equivalent video conferencing technology and it's all very muted and strange with long pauses i mean have i got news for you i felt like that was a front runner on te- in terms of television like they got were quick off the mark first week of lockdown they were there on Friday in their new format with everyone Skyping in in an empty so I don't know if you've seen it but they position the televisions inside an empty studio so you've got the four screens and then the ho- screen where the host should be and these long pauses it's quickly how the narrative has changed around that as well because the first week it happened I saw an article getting circulated that, with, that where the headline was literally satirical institution proves it can thrive in current chaos but now it's five weeks later and I think the big headline this week was people complained on Twitter that it was like watching from their parents and grandparents trying to communicate on Zoom. Well, I suppose more of us have that analogy to hand now, don't we? Because we have seen our parents and grandparents trying to interact on Zoom. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think how I need to use always, there's always been a big story about how edited it is, isn't it? And how if you're going to record in the studio, it can be six or seven hours and they only have a few laughs and then they edit it to make it seem really funny. I think they're still editing it because Ian Hislop has been laughing hysterically and not clips through, he's laughing his head off. And sometimes it's just because they've read out what the points are or something. I think he's gone mad. Perhaps, perhaps. And all of the conversations that everyone is having about Zoom that play out in these shows as well. So by about week two, Ian Hislop was getting a lot of flack for having a lot of books in the background of his Zoom picture. That's become a thing, hasn't it? What's the, what was it called, the, the name of that meme, where you've got books in the background, like Power Move Books or something? I know what you mean. I mean, I suppose that always happened when people celebrities were photographed in front of their bookshelves, but now yeah. now we're all at it, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, that's a good one. Uh, it's like um, Lisa and Andy, isn't it? Did you, I don't know if you saw the picture of her where she was just sat in front of an empty bookshelf that had one book on it and the book was Catch-22. Like, I mean, that's a, that's not an attempt at a subliminal message. I don't know what is. Yeah, that would be a good game, wouldn't it? What would be the one book that all of our political figures would have behind them? I mean, what would your book be? My one book? Well, I'm going to hold off on that answer and I'm going to talk to you about that in a little while. What would Boris Johnson's book be? Yeah, well, it would be something like... Uh... It wouldn't actually be a book. It would be one of those video cases that used to be made to look like books and inside it would be nothing but a single solitary surgical glove yeah. which is of course an entire piece of medical of PPE isn't it? It is yeah one single unit equals one single glove so yeah so there's, there's that issue I mean, it's similar to the David Mitchell and Robert Webb remaining indoors thing right again right back in phase one when everyone was worried about toilet paper Nick Frost and Simon Pegg released a video you saw that one where they <laughs> were playing the characters they were in Shaun of the Dead yeah and that was another thing wasn't it early on everybody was saying let's go down to the let's go down to the Winchester so yeah that's another thing so that was good that they were doing Shaun of the Dead and also a video that I really appreciated was someone 
someone tweeted a clip of people fighting to get this these toilet rolls off the back of a big trolley in a supermarket and then they'd put over it the sound effects and music from George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead so that these slow people reaching for the, the loo rolls it's obviously strongly analogous to those zombies reaching for a bit of flesh but I thought that was interesting because the actual tweet is satirising the way people behave in COVID-19 using Romero's Dawn of the Dead which is already a satire of consumerism isn't it so double purpose satire life keeps on imitating not just art but satire doesn't it but for all that uh, did you see the article by Armando Inucci saying he just couldn't be funny and couldn't satirise anything because I think people are finding ways to make themselves and one another laugh but there is a kind of sense that there's nothing really to laugh at and that we're having to try quite hard. And Armando Iannucci said that we're all kind of pretending this is a lovely, fun time or we're trying to find the, the things about it that are good, but really it's not fun. It's horrible. That is true. And um, But that's also been his shtick since at least 2016. <laughs> that's also true. Saying that you can't satirise things because they're so bad for a good long while now. I mean, yeah. It's, it's interesting that there seems to be, in terms of the comedy that arises in this situation, at least two different types, isn't there? There's... The situational comedy, isn't it? It's funny that we don't have any toilet paper. Oh, isn't it funny that we can only go out once a day? So I'd say that's comedy. But then that other has a specific target, isn't it? Where the way people are behaving is skewered or satirised in, in a certain way. So like the Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan sketch that was in the virtue signal that you get. Yeah. The, the idea that being seen to clap for the NHS is more important than actually want, wanting to acknowledge what the NHS has done. Yeah. And that reminds me of the account which is enjoying something of a resurgence at the moment. The That Didn't Happen Awards Twitter account, which retweets things that people tweet have happened that are highly unlikely. Yes, there's been a lot of adorable and deeply sensitive three-year-olds saying things like mummy, why is everybody buying all the toilet roll? Don't they realise caring is sharing and things like that? That sort of thing. But mummy, I'm not worried about the virus because of all the love and that sort of thing. What what other sorts of things are they saying? Just extremely unlikely scenarios involving people queuing outside supermarkets or people being very unreasonable in supermarkets or people being especially kind uh, I, I mean, generally, just looking at Twitter, there does seem to have been an, an exponential spike in the amount of funny or awkward things that happen to people in their own homes, isn't it? Like, yes, a lot of unruly cats and children, aren't there? Yeah, a lot of unlikely things happening. In, it shouldn't happen in a Zoom meeting type of stuff. What, do you think they all didn't happen, then? I think some of them didn't happen. Oh, they're embellished. People need to do what they need to do to, to keep their morale up, don't they? And if that's tweeting pictures of because you've dropped a tea bag on the floor and you think that's unfortunate, then, then that's what you need to do. It is worrying, though, isn't it? Because... I mean, people keep talking possibly prematurely about whether things will ever get back to normal afterwards. But I hope we don't go back to a place where we're all satisfied with dropping a tea back on the floor and calling it a life. That's true. Uh, that's, yeah. That's true. So, a lot of, I feel like there's been a spike in those memes that are like, here's four people, tag yourself as which one you are. Yeah. Maybe we yeah. just all want to pretend we're someone else than we are. Yeah. I get, keep getting ones that are like, well, loads of ones that have been around the block have come back, haven't they? Which, which five films would you define you? or hit, take a picture of something once a day with no context and tag four people who don't want to do this. Also, your lockdown name is the thing you last ate and the thing that is nearest to you. Oh, that's yeah. that's funny because then my lockdown name would be Soup Laptop. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, as would the majority of other people. Yeah. <laughs> Memes are kind of a special subject of yours. Have you had any memes that you particularly enjoyed during lockdown? No, I feel like they've been mostly shit. <laughs> I quite enjoyed uh, Zoom Potato Boss for a few minutes. Yes, Zoom Potato Boss was good, wasn't it? Some of the biggest memes have actually come from real things that have happened that seem like they should have been satire. Yeah. So at the time of recording, the last few weeks, there's been a lot of talk about bleach. Yeah, so the, there's the whole like meme your quarantine hashtag, isn't there, at the moment? Yeah. Although meme, meme your quarantine seems to be, I think people have mostly 
completely misunderstood and done gift the quarantine, haven't they? They've just put a gif and then I said, this. meme this quarantine. Yeah, have a look. Hashtag meme this quarantine, but actually probably don't bother. But yeah, so Armando Iannucci is, um, is finding lots of scope and inspiration to say that that satire's dead again, isn't he? But the other strand of all of this, uh, he, he's always saying it because the news has got so ridiculous. But it's not its not just that the virus is scary and that's killing satire. It's also that really, really stupid things are happening in the real world, aren't they? For example, do you want to say a stupid thing that's happened recently? Donald Trump. That's right, yeah. He, he's happened, yeah, doesn't yeah. he? He keeps on happening. Yeah, it keeps on happening. Every day there seems to be something else. But I mean, right at the start, he was making a fool of himself yeah. referring to it as Kong flu, wasn't he? Asian flu, yeah. yeah. Asiatic cholera of course the the uh, precedent for that back in so that it is precedented times people used to refer to cholera as asiatic cholera back in the 19th century and donald trump is i don't know channeling his inner victorian but not as much as he's channeling his inner absolute fool and what does he want to channel in himself bleach that's right bleach yes <laughs> so yeah this is for, for listeners in the future who are using this as some kind of journal of the plague here donald trump the american of the, the American president and leader of the free world suggested that it might be a good idea to think about whether or not we could put the bleach on the inside of us yeah. to sort of bleach our insides out. Yes. And that's prompted a huge response, hasn't it? Unsurprisingly, <laughs> on social media. Also from lots of people who tweeted like back in 2016, if Donald Trump told the American public to drink bleach, they probably would and things like that. Yeah. And also that it wouldn't be a problem for him because he wouldn't be able to get the childproof lid off. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but but they have though. They have been drinking bleach, haven't they? Yeah, like the number of spikes in bleach sales, and then hospital cases has gone up. People are buying so, more yeah, bleach. They are for the cleaning. Are. I mean, there was two things that I noticed that I particularly appreciated. So Brad Pitt appeared on Saturday Night Live as a man called Doctor Anthony Fucci, who is a government medical advisor. And I, I don't know much about how this is all playing out in America, but I gather that Donald Trump says these things and then they wheel out this guy who then has to try and explain what Donald Trump meant. And the joke in this video is that he can't do it. Like he's doing his best until they play the clip of the bleach and then Brad Pitt playing him is just flabbergasted and can't think of a medical explanation for why yeah. the president would advise drinking bleach. Well, but did you not hear though? He he was being sarcastic. He was. So that's, yeah, that's how he got out of it, wasn't it? Uh, Whereas Boris Johnson always says he was being satirical, Donald Trump says yeah. he was being sarcastic. Yeah, and he subsequently said, recent days that he can't be held responsible for anybody drinking bleach because he was being sarcastic and that would be obvious in the clip it's not what sarcasm is though is it no oh man are you drinking bleach wasn't that well that's the thing isn't it if it was sarcasm why did he use the same drawling voice that he uses it does raise the question how many other times was he being sarcastic was he being sarcastic about that wall was he sarcastic like <laughs> when he ran for that yeah. presidential thing. No, I think what he means is I think he genuinely meant to say he was being satirical but doesn't know the word. Oh well that would be good for our purposes, wouldn't it, if if that was true. I guess we'll never know. It's not satirical, it's just stupid. <laughs> He's satirizing the idea that we might want to cure the plane. And the other one was uh, if any people like folks haven't seen this, we can post the links to all this stuff and so the American comedian Sarah Cooper, who has got a little gig for us. So it's not massively dissimilar to the Janie Godley one where she just mimes that's very funny isn't it the yes because when he says so I don't know we could find a way to put it in she points at a bottle <laughs> yeah yeah. So, people should bottle. watch that that's good we're laughing too much at the Americans because we've been a bit of a shit show here as well haven't we we have although I mean I suppose it's a very salutary lesson one of these things is don't have too many email addresses or don't still have email addresses that you don't use because if the EU email you and say would you like in on our plan to get lots of PPE don't make sure they've got your current email address because they 
will they will just use the wrong one yeah that's not what I think happened though no but that's what they're saying isn't it that we didn't get PPE from everyone tried to give us PPE didn't they yeah China tried to give us PPE and then yeah I mean there was also that was one there was one day where they released they were expecting 30,000 and they managed to get 30 it was going to be the weekend but they anticipated tens of thousands of people needing it stuff like that like it's hard to make a joke when that that's uh, not yeah uh, yeah and then there was also the thing wasn't there with the the items of PPE where they'd been counting each glove as an item of PPE even though most of the world would accept that gloves come in pairs and a pair of gloves yeah. is a thing you can't you can't go in M&S can you and buy one glove they would make you buy the whole thing or if I was going to say apparently when you buy gloves wholesale they do come as individual like right you buy them in the stacks of left hand and buy them in stacks of right hand but you'd have to be an idiot not to realise that one glove does not constitute a pair of gloves I mean they're called yeah. gloves aren't they yeah don't forget your glove yeah and if you I suppose more aptly if you went to M&S and gloves cost £15 but you only got one you would say that's ridiculous I want gloves not a glove times two fucking ridiculous so how are our old friends DM Reporter and Titania McGrath how how is their satire working in this unprecedented time what have they been doing have you seen well I think what DM Reporter's been doing is taking headlines from the Daily Mail and some of the comments and posting them on Twitter outraged at how ludicrous they are and how bad their takes are with increasing bitterness Mm. so much the same as before and Titania McGrath and satirising work people. So sometimes satire is the one thing that remains consistent, isn't it? I mean, obviously they're both doing that in the context of what's happening at the moment, but actually perhaps that suggests satire doesn't die even when hundreds of people every day are dying. Which is good, which is good. I mean, I'll tell you what DM Reporter has been doing though, um, shining a light on the way that um, the Daily Mail have been angling lenses and focuses to make it look like people are breaking social distancing rules. And he's been sharing some really detailed investigation about that. The, the Daily Mail, for whatever reason, whether they're trying to kind of confect outrage at cov idiots or whether they are trying to suggest that the lockdown is futile because no one's taking it seriously, they are publishing pictures that make it look as though people aren't obeying social distancing when actually if you look at the pictures and think about how many people there are in in that given space that they are it's what what's the lens that makes them look like they're not is this if you zoom isn't it yes that's definitely happening and it's easy to do like just when you're taking pictures well when i go on my statutory allowed one walk of the day around york i've been doing this thing where i've been taking this is me complaining about people doing mundane things I've been taking pictures of York whilst it's abandoned. No, I'm glad you. I'm glad that you're doing that because otherwise we wouldn't know that not really as many people were out and about in the centre of York, could we? I I certainly assumed that it was normal until I saw your Instagram. I thought Coney Street would be full of shoppers, but apparently you say not. No, I'm just saying it's, it's been abandoned. But the the irony Fuck. is. Unlike the Daily Mail, because I have to wait for people to get out of the way before I can take the pictures of the, the empty streets. Yeah. So Why'd you do it? Reminds it reminds me of, because I feel like there should be a record of what it looked like. And also, it's fun, it, like genuinely, genuinely think it's fascinating to see the city. Has but it's also a record design. of what it hardly ever looked like, isn't it? Well, in all of history. Pretty much. Absolutely. It's never, I bet it's never been as empty as it is now. But I remember an old friend of mine, Dr. Mark Bennett, worked on William Gilpin and, and landscape and stuff in the 18th century. And he did a paper once where apparently William Gilpin really, really fetishized, well, he really liked ruins and stuff gothic ruins mm. and landscape and he would yeah would quite fiercely chase people away so that you could enjoy the abandoned ruins because they always had people in that's how i feel waiting for people to get off coney street so i can take a picture of it looking empty <laughs> do you, you see so you feel like some sort of painter from the 18th century always yeah but i mean i could do but with a phone I could take a picture of three people on the bank of the river and then do a tweet about how I'm annoyed that there's that many people on the river that I think there should be an ice cream van there because so many people are breaking quarantine and there's actually only three people. 
can't trust anything you see on social media or in the media. No, it's it's bad business, isn't it? But yeah, the reason I was asking you whether you felt like an 18th century person but with a phone is because I want to surprise you and any regular listeners now and try to tie some of this together by inviting you, Adam Jane Smith, and you, the listeners, to a little nook that I like to call Joe's 18th century corner. Joe's 18th century observation corner. Welcome, welcome to my 18th century corner, which you will find is agreeably brief and highly relevant. You've got a fucking nerve, haven't you? I like the 18th century first. That's my whole thing, is that I say the 18th century is the best century and I like it. And you're just taking a thing that I've been into for ages and you're appropriating it and pretending you've always liked it. No, because Joe's 18th century corner is very different from the stinking, boring, cobwebby corner that you keep dragging everyone into. That's your corner over there. You can't see it, but it's in another corner of this curated room. That one's yours. This corner is my corner, and it's a very special corner because it's a disease corner. That sounds worse. Well, it's it's a talking about disease corner, and what we're going to talk about really briefly is Daniel Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year, which I've taught twice, and I allowed you to lecture on twice um, on my module. Thank you for doing that. So I've taught it twice and also discussed it on a different podcast, on Backlisted Podcast, but obviously which now, just over a year on from last time I talked about it, now feels very different, doesn't it, as a text. Have you come across this book at all? Yeah, 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 I'm very familiar with it because I liked it first. Well, I... Because you know what I work on? Early 18th century writers like Daniel Defoe, that's what I do. Yes, you know, but what, what I work on, among other things, one of the strings to my bow is disease a disease string on my big bow. Um, So I like it in a disease bit, so I get to have the corner on this occasion. Well, okay, but I think it's a little bit off, if I'm honest. Carry on. Yes, I will. So recently, all kinds of people have been reading this book and having lots of things to say about it. And what I found interesting is the way that perhaps we can understand it differently or maybe take different things from it in the very particular moment that we're inhabiting right now. So I began my sick novels module this year by invoking the then relatively recent context of the coronavirus to make the point that a lot of what Defoe describes we shouldn't just read it and think oh well that's because that happened in the old days that's that's what disease was like back in the history it's because whenever really disease and epidemics and quarantines and lockdowns and contagion happen it seems like people respond in fairly similar ways so by extension we should always be careful about designating the ways that disease used to be understood Uh, you know we, we always think that disease used to be understood in really old and stupid ways whereas now we're just really scientific and really objective and we think about disease in a completely neutral way and that's just not true and um, but then as it turned out of course rather than coronavirus helping us to understand Defoe in some ways Defoe perhaps helps us to understand coronavirus. What like? Well, quite a lot of people on Twitter have found parallels between the plague year and the COVID now, like how people were quarantined and how they tried to resist it and rumours that were circulating and people with it trying to deliberately infect other people or thinking they had it, thinking they had it when they didn't have it, anxiously monitoring their symptoms. And actually, I'd like to read you a little passage, if I may. But yeah, no, please, in your own time. Here Here is Defoe's narrator, HD. Listen carefully. Business led me out some Sometimes to the other end of town, even when the sickness was chiefly there. And as the thing was new to me, as well as to everybody else, it was a most surprising thing to see those streets, which were usually so thronged, now grown desolate. I bet he probably just waited for them all to move, didn't he, like you? And so few people to be seen in them, that if I had been a, a stranger and at a loss for my way, I might sometimes have gone the, the length of a whole street, I mean of the by street, and seen nobody to direct me except watchmen set at the doors of such houses as were shut up 
of which I shall speak presently. One day, being at that part of the town on some special business, curiosity led me to observe things more than usually, and indeed I walked a great way where I had no business. I went up Holborn, and there the street was full of people, but they walked in the middle of the great street, neither one side or the other, because, as I suppose, they would not mingle with anybody that came out of houses, or meet with smells and scent from houses that might be infected. I'm enjoying this joke, because I do love the 18th century, and I particularly enjoy and love Daniel Defoe, but this has been going a long time. I'm worried about our listeners. Well, I think if our listeners could just hang tight, there's just a little bit, a tiny bit more of this extract that I'd really like to share with you, because I think it shows just how how prescient in some ways this, this text is. And yet, strange to relate, after a time, the people became less terrified, rather than, as I had supposed should be the case, the more filled with apprehension and terrible horrors. One day, I walked the same way as I had many days before, and found that the people were no longer walking in the middle of the great street, but were hand in hand on the pavement, and neither would they yield their space to any poor soul who wished to pass them while observing social distancing. See, nothing changes. He's, he's using that phrase in this in this book uh, nothing new under the sun i'm going to carry on and though the taverns and the shops and the businesses lay sadly empty yet the roads were still used by wagons driving by at great speed and i found to my consternation and very great fear that i must perforce step into the very path of these thundering wagons which sped along safe so they thought from all previous incursions and limitations on speed nor was this the only peril i faced upon the streets writes defoe people running fast yet with no objective to achieve by doing so would violently speed past so that I was forced to breathe their very same breath and people mounted upon strange two-wheeled vehicles would proceed along the same pavements with seeming impunity. Next to these public things were the dreams of journalists who did most rashly increase a growing sentiment among the people that the government's actions in shutting them up were wrong-headed and might safely be ignored. One such journalist, whose name I have been told though cannot confirm, was Alison Pearson, did write a tweet of such astounding foolishness that I can scarce bring myself to relate, saying that two of her friends were unilaterally leaving lockdown, being, as she did state, young and healthy and in their 30s and 40s. And though many people did complain of this tweet and advised that these young women women might bring upon their elderly relatives unknown suffering, Alison Pearson could not be brought to recant her terrible and dangerous words. No condemnation can be great enough for those like Alison Pearson, who did preach such foolishness at the time of the plague. What do you think about that? Wow. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, when you really look deep into this text, it's amazing how... How many connections and parallels there are. It is extraordinary. I mean, I've read this book. And you never picked up on that bit? To the extent that I'm going to say that that stuff about Alison Pearson in particular is not in the book. And that you were doing satire, weren't you? I was. I was absolutely doing satire. Just to clarify, the whole bit from where you asked me to stop and I said I want you to read a little bit more about the people becoming less terrified, walking hand in hand, riding bikes, all of that bit was was made up by me in the kind of mildly botched manner of of Daniel Defoe who who I was trying to emulate it was it was more satire. see my corner my 18th century corner is so much funnier I might just fully start liking the 18th century now I've already been to B-Sex you have been to B-Sex it's mine, it's mine now you know I, I think that's I'm glad actually because particularly at work that would be nice because I'm the only 18th centuryist in the village so that'd be I'd welcome you but just going back to what you've just done now I suppose the point is that Joan of a Plague Year does offer some parallels with the present moment, but the now times are quite different from the then times. 
And also perhaps we shouldn't look to the literature of the past. So it's nothing but a manual written with strange and thoughtful prescience. That's kind of the point that I was making, yeah. So I don't know if plague year is reassuring or not. On the one hand, the plague was probably in a lot of ways worse than COVID-19, more deadly, less understood. On the other hand, that plague burnt itself out, which I don't think a virus can really do. And the quarantine measures were in some ways much, much harsher, in some ways surprisingly lenient. And it's interesting that Defoe only ever writes about what that quarantine looks like from the outside, right? What the shut-up houses look like when they were being guarded by watchmen. And that never struck me as a gap in the text before. But now I wonder if he was interested in what it was like from the inside. Maybe everyone was inside doing yoga and PE. We just, we cannot, we cannot know, can we? No, we can't. Can we leave 18th century corner now, though? We can leave the 18th century corner, yes. In the words of, in the words of HD, abracadabra, and away we go. Joe's 18th century observation corner. Something that struck me when you're talking there is something that I was thinking about this morning, which is how frustrating it is they call it COVID-19. It doesn't just sound rubbish, doesn't it? It's not like the Black Death. Yeah. Like, like COVID-19 doesn't sound... They should have called it something more dramatic or dynamic than that. What, what like, the, the event? Yeah, or... Um, the scourge, the pest. Yeah. Something to do with, like, how anyone, anyone can have it. Like, yeah, the visible plague. <laughs> the invisible plague, yeah. They, they could have called it that, but I suppose that I can sort of see why they didn't want to. Creeping death or something like that. Lung sponge plague. Well, certainly something to think about. Think- what did you think to my 18th century corner... I think you've broken the mould there. I feel like I really need to up the bar in future installments of Adam's 18th century corner because yours was, was actually quite a lot funnier and cleverer. And do you know who else got kicks from imitating Daniel Defoe? Who? Virginia Woolf. Did she? Did she? What what book did she do that in? When she was writing Orlando, she's in her diary, she says that one of the things that she wanted to do was to write a, a fictional history that parodied the works of Daniel Defoe. Wow, that's good to know. So it's, it's, it's been a roller coaster, hasn't it? We've we've looked at satire, we've looked at real things, we've looked at the olden days, we've looked at, at literature. Is there anything else you want to look at? No, I think that's good. I mean, we've done all the things that we would have normally done. But without anybody else. <laughs> and remotely. So that's much like what it's been like as a lecturer, isn't it? Yeah. Technically, we've hit all the points that we would have always hit, but we've mm. done it in a different, slightly dispersed fashion nobody will listen to it so it's very like a lecture i suppose we better let our listeners get back to whatever they're not doing yeah yeah i suppose we had we better let them get back to doing their their baking or their yoga or their home educating or their cats or their bookshelves or whatever else they do maybe maybe they're waiting for a yummy delivery from deliveroo they could be couldn't they like i mean we told everyone to get on that deliveroo yeah and uh, shropshire farm foods there's there's, shropshire farm food still going at the moment they are i support independent business when they give me stuff for free through sponsorship absolutely yeah yeah Um, just eat yeah uber eats all all of those so i'm glad that we were sponsored in such an appropriate way i'm glad that we were in such a fictional and appropriate way yeah so this wasn't the episode that we planned so usually we now would say what we're going to do in the next episode we don't know do we I plan to be alive. I was going to say, we both plan to be alive and we, we intend to keep going, don't we? I mean, we've, so the next episode may be Sharon Lockyer. It may be a recording of our York Lit Fest event from last year. It may be something completely different. But yeah. we will return. We? Yes, we will. And it will be uh, be deeply, deeply funny. What should people do if they've been in any way impacted by any of this? Or do you think that's not really worth saying? I think it would be helpful if they could give us a yell. Give us a yell in our socials, yeah. yeah. I mean, because even if the ref isn't a thing... 
it's just nice to know that people are listening and engaging, isn't it? And I think now more than ever, I would really appreciate knowing whether anybody yeah. listened to a single word I ever said. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah. So they so, could do that at Satire No More, couldn't they? No more, yeah. So never mind the ref, just tweet us at, at Satire No More to let us know you like what we do and yeah. help us get enough morale and self-esteem to survive yes. ever during lockdown. At Satire No More, tweet us individually. You're war js yeah i'm at elemental adam you can email us at satire no more at gmail.com or you can leave a comment on our blog which you can find by googling the words satire deaths burst legacies where you'll also find all of our back catalogue and the various myriad platforms upon which it's available that's right um, but for now i think we just have to wish everyone well and essentially i suppose sit up shut up and remain indoors and eat our satire see you next time see you next time Bye. Bye.